Good morning. We, like I mentioned earlier, we're in a series on the book of Psalms. And this week, in the next few weeks actually, we're going to be looking at one, one psalm, and that is Psalm 37. So if you want to be looking for something to read uh, throughout the weeks or to meditate on, Psalm 37 could be um, a good one uh, for you to do that with the, the next couple of weeks. So thankful for Warren sharing last week. Um, and uh, haven't listened to it yet, but I did look through his slides. And um, there's, there's a couple connections uh, even with today that I'm thankful for. But always thankful for him to, to share, um, and especially when I'm gone. Um, Psalm 37 has some history with me. Uh, the church I grew up in, uh, there was a pastor when I was in elementary school. His name was Earl Lee. And he... Um, this, 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 he used this psalm in our church a lot and even wrote a book on it years and years ago. And then a friend of mine who was the pastor over at Pasadena um, First Church of the Nazarene where I grew up, um, he kind of rewrote it, wrote a second edition. And so I'm, I'm, I'm working on, his name's Scott Daniels, and so I'm working with that book a little bit over the next few weeks um, and have found it personally meaningful to, to look at some of the writings of this pastor who... Um, I think probably, whether I realize it or not, deeply shaped some of my vision for, for pastoring, too. Um, another thing that's on my mind today is the last time I went on vacation, I preached uh, the following Sunday, and Kara came up to me afterwards, Griffin, and kind of busted my chops a little bit for not telling any stories about my vacation um, in the sermon. So um, she's not here, but because of her, um, a, couple, a couple stories to, to get us started before we read um, Actually, we're going to read this passage, and then I'll tell a couple stories. Um, let me read this for us. Psalm 37. Don't fret because of evildoers. Don't be jealous of those who do wrong, because they will fade fast like grass. They will wither like green vegetables. Trust the Lord and do good. Live in the land and farm faithfulness. Enjoy the Lord, and he will give what your heart asks. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust him. He will act and will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, your justice like high noon. Be still before the Lord and wait for him. Don't fret when someone gets ahead, someone who invents evil schemes. Let go of anger and leave rage behind. Do not fret. It will only lead to evil. And this is the word of the Lord. Um, my family, each, each summer we go to uh, Lake Coeur d'Alene, which is up in Idaho. And we spend a week on the lake. And I don't know, I don't know it's, we're very spoiled to, to do this. And it's, it's such a beautiful and, and restful kind of place and, and time for us. It's, it's my, our family, and then my brother and his wife's family, and then my parents as well. And there's just something about starting and ending your day with a jump in the lake that uh, just brings you to a very kind of restful um, place. So um, a couple of you are also commented on my tan. It also brings some tan um, as well. So there's lots of things we do that are fun at, at the lake. Um, we may or may not have video of Ari and the boys jumping off a bridge. Um, we do some, some wake surfing. We eat a lot of great food. We read books and drink coffee. It's a, it's a wonderful time. 
But the last couple of years, probably my favorite part about our trip was the, the day that we take and we go off the lake to this river, the Coeur d'Alene River, and we, we cruise down the river. Um, and this time Ari and I got on the jet ski and we're cruising down the river. And as you go down the river, first of all, we found out you can see moose. We saw three moose this year on the river, believe it or not, which was a, a shock to us. We'd never seen that before. Um, but also along the river, there's these little like tributaries that you can go off on. And this is a picture of one of them. So we, we had gone off the river and we went down this little tributary. And you kind of wonder like, all right, when's, the, when's it going to be too shallow for the jet ski? When are we going to really get stuck here? And hopefully our phones work out in this, this, this area if we do get stuck here. But then on, on about five or six of these tributaries, when you get to the end of them, almost like to an overwhelming kind of surprise is they open up to a different lake. And so all of a sudden you've, you've gone from this river down this tiny little tributary and then you, you make a turn and you're just on to a whole nother lake. Some of which have a few houses on them, one which has nothing on them, and you're literally like by yourself enjoying God's creation on these beautiful, beautiful lakes. Um, the kingdom of God is like undeserving city slickers who find their way down a tributary uh, into a beautiful um, and surprising, surprising lake. Before I left, um, I read an article in the LA Times, and the title of that article was All the Neighbors Know Who She Is. How one woman built a flower farm across eight yards uh, in San Diego County. This woman's name is Rachel Nephis, and Rachel's husband Chris is a, is a pastor of a Nazarene church down in San Diego also. And um, the, sto the, the, the story opens by, um, with this, I hope Tom comes outside to say hello, Rachel said as she placed the cut stems in a bucket of water. Soon a smile crept across her face as Tom Weaver opened the door, wheeled himself onto the porch. It's so wonderful to see flowers growing outside my window, he said from his wheelchair. I love seeing them. They smell so good. Um, for three years, Rachel has been a florist. And what she does is she has eight different yards in their San Diego neighborhood and community. She either wrote letters to neighbors or just got struck up a conversation with neighbors. And these neighbors have allowed her to use their yard um, to grow flowers in their, in their community. Um, the, uh, all the gardens um, are in places where people cannot care for their yards the way they would like to, said Nafis. And she also cultivates the alley behind her 800 square foot home. I feel I'm adding value to their homes and to our neighbor, neighborhood, excuse me. The name of her farm is the Salter Farm Flowers. Um, she names it the Salter Farm Flowers because like the Psalms, she said, um, which hold so many different human emotions, which we've talked about as we've been in this series. I like to give everything that I am to the growing of these flowers um, in, the, in our neighborhood and for, for my company. Um, one of her neighbors um, said, I don't know how much farming, about farming itself, but I'm impressed how Rachel has increased the biodiversity 
in our neighborhood. There's, a less, there's less infrastructure and greenery, fewer markets, more liquor stores here. But she's taught us all that neighborhoods can be beautiful. And although she likes working alone, Nathan's quiet presence resonates throughout the neighborhood. Shortly before um, this neighbor's brother, Don, died in 2021, the family moved his hospital bed next to the window so he could watch Nathus working in the garden. And she says, it's extraordinary to be present and so deeply a part of the neighborhood. Um, she said of neighbors, dog walkers, parents who greet her as she walks from house to house with her flower buckets and her shears. And what she does is she grows these flowers and she sells them to florists and to flower companies and to event planners and to people who just want to make beautiful bouquets for their houses. Um, the backstory is that she was an ER nurse um, and with three young children when the pandemic hit and decided that that just wasn't going to work um, for them. And so she, not knowing what she was going to do, she resigned her position during the pandemic and she got started on this. Also part of the backstory is that her and Chris tried to do homesteading and describe it as an utter failure. Um, the rodents just were too hard to handle. Um, and so she's got all of that work for a number of years when they tried to do that on their, on their home um, as, a, as a kind of a backstory to this work as well. Um, God's welfare, God's shalom. Um, it's like a resigned ER nurse failed farmer um, who starts planting flowers around her neighborhood with her neighbors. Um, it reminded me of a story from our church. Some of you remember Heather Greer, who was a member of our church for quite a while um, and who uh, one year injured her knee in a soccer game and for rehab started walking Monrovia. Um, and as she walked Monrovia, she noticed fruit trees that were just bending over because they had so much abundance on them and she got curious about what that was all about and so she would hobble up to the door she was a very friendly person if you if you know heather she would hobble up to the door and she would find that generally these were people who just for whatever reason they couldn't they couldn't harvest their trees and so she got this wild idea that uh, mountainside should um, go to these trees and harvest them for the neighbors give them the fruit that they wanted and then take the rest and start what she called a produce exchange. And so for a few years, we had a produce exchange where on Friday nights, a number of mountainsiders would go out and harvest fruit and bring it back and invite other neighbors and produce would be exchanged uh, in the basement of the Methodist church uh, years ago. Um, this was kind of the, the beginnings of our, our visioning around what is now the community garden uh, out here. In fact, uh, Kristen and Nate, um, I think it was before kids, they, they weren't even a part of our church. And they, they, we knew them as neighbors, and they started to come to the produce exchange. And that was one of the, one of the connectors for them. Um, God's new creation is like an injured extrovert who gets curious about abundance of fruit. And what that might look, what might, that might do for a community if we begin to share that. There's at least still a Facebook page called Produce in the Park. I don't know if it still actually happens on a monthly basis, but I know it happened for a very, very um, long time. Uh, when, when, when we landed in Idaho this week, we got into our car, our taxi, to take us to where we were staying. And our driver's name was DR. 
and he was very, very talkative. He has a captive audience, and he is very talkative. And so we were talking, well, we were listening and listening, and finally he answered, asked this question, which is the question that I just dread on, on vacation. So, what do you guys do? And so Ari shares what she does, and then I share what I do, and it's like a just ears up, like excitement, like, oh, a pastor. Well, guess what? I'm an evangelist. And I said, wow, great. That's awesome. Um, in fact, and he grabbed this piece of paper right here, and he said, those are all the people who've been saved in my car over the last few months. And I was intrigued and curious. Um, and, and he began to talk to me about this this very um, meaningful kind of sense of vocation in what he was up to. Um, and it began with a powerful story about him having been involved in kind of some biker gangs, having um, lived a very um, kind of dangerous life, a life that involved violence, um, substance abuse, um, near-death experience, that woke him up um, to a different way and a way that he called over and over in our in our one hour um, time with him he called it his move to the narrow path um, when I when I when now that I'm on a narrow path my life is so much different um, and while there were certainly things about our one hour kind of listening time with him that made me a little uncomfortable I'm not saying I was right or he was right just I was uncomfortable um, there was something very powerful to hear someone describe moving from a broad path, a path that was leading to death, um, to a narrow path um, that, that has brought him life um, and calling. In the Psalms, um, Warren talked about this a little bit, it seems, uh, from the slides, but um, there's, there's really two paths for, for people in their imagination in the Psalms. There's the narrow path, that leads to life. Um, and then there's a broader path that, that can lead to death. Um, other ways that it's talked about is there's a path that leads into light and a path that leads to darkness. Um, there's a path that is Yahweh's path and a path that is set towards idols. Um, there's, again, a narrow road and a broad road. Um, there's the way of the Lord. There's the way of wicked the wicked. And what I want to invite us over the next few weeks is to just hold that in mind um, as a frame for our own discernment on our own lives, and our own kind of life as a community. What, is it, what does it look like to be people who move into the way of life, um, who live um, along the narrow path that God has called us to live upon? Um, we talk about this in a lot of different ways um, here at Mountainside. Um, we'll talk about God's creation as something we want to be a part of. We'll talk about um, God's shalom or well-being that is closely connected with the practice of Sabbath and rest. Um, we talk about the way of the Lord, the kingdom of God. Jesus comes and proclaims a new way, a new kingdom, a new creation. Um, 
we'll talk about this idea of communion, of living in communion with God and one another. And while these all are like a little bit different and there's different meanings, kind of like priorities or, or emphases in these, these, these ideas, they all kind of like are a word cluster in this, in this narrow path imagination, this, this new thing, this way of being with God that we, we are trying to be about as a church, that people of faith are trying to be about around the world. Um, the words in Psalm 37 that might connect with, with this path are words like trust and good, um, enjoy or delight, commitment, again, trust, righteousness, justice, rest, or being still. Um, you probably noticed um, the... Uh, some of the words that might be along a broader path or a, a path that would lead to destruction. Words like fret or worry, jealousy, fret or worry, evil schemes, anger, rage, fret or worry. Um, three times it seems that the kind of the, the way of, of the wicked, according to the Psalms, it holds that word of worry and fret. Um, Jesus talks about this in a little bit different language. He talks about God's new kingdom, but he also talks about the ways of the Gentiles, right? Or the ways of those who are not following Torah. Uh, and in Matthew 6, his famous sermon on the mountain, he says, No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be loyal to the one and have contempt for the other. You can't serve God and wealth. Therefore, I say to you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink or about your body, what you'll wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothes? And he talks about the lilies of the field and how he clothes them and the, the birds of the air and how he feeds them and takes care of them. Um, and then Jesus goes on and says, therefore, don't worry and say, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink or what are we going to wear? Gentiles long for all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Instead, desire first and foremost God's kingdom, God's righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, stop worrying about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. For, for both the psalmist and for Jesus, kind of the torment of um, the way of the wicked or um, the ways that lead to death, the torment and almost the very nature of it is worry, is fret. Um, so closely connected with, with fear. Um, and, I, and I think... You know, one of the reasons um, that's there is because um, this, the way of the wicked, it's not just lived by us as individuals, but it's, as we've talked about a lot, there's cultural myths and realities that we tell ourselves over and over and over again. And we believe them about ourselves and about life over and over again that lead us um, to this place of worry and fret. Um, I wonder what some of those are. 
with some of those kind of cultural values or messages that we, we take in and we hear about ourselves over and over. Um, in the scriptures, it's Egypt, it's Rome, it's Babylon, Assyria, it's all these different cultures. They have their own myths and their own stories that they believe about themselves. Um, Daniel's writes about four um, that I want to just kind of move through here. First, there's the, the myth that we tell ourselves that we can add value to ourselves in our culture. Um, that if we, if we get the right education, if we have the right stuff or the right bank account size, if we wear the right clothes or if we have the right friends, what, whatever it is, not only like socially will that be good for us, but we can actually add value. You'll hear that language in business circles. We can add value to who we are. And especially if people notice these things about us. And this, the scriptures would say, this is a part of what leads to worry. This idea that it's up to us to add value to who we are. Um, we want to proclaim as a body, and, and, we, and we, we try to do this as often as we can, our, our value is wrapped up in our belovedness by the God who made us in God's image. Our value is connected. It's part of our birthright. It's not anything earned or achieved or added. Um, it's a part of our story from day one, no matter what day one looked like. Um, but that's a, that's, a, that's a myth that can lead us to worry if we believe that, that somehow our value is attached to what we achieve. Um, a second one he talks about is this, this idea that I am empty and I need to be filled. It's kind of connected to that adding of value, but a little bit different. This idea that, like, I, I, I am not what I need to be, and I need something to fill it. Um, and certainly we have appetites, right? We have, we have desires for food. Um, we have desires for sexual intimacy. We have other desires, which are all a part of kind of humanity's, like, kind of growth and survival and connection and social bonding, all that. But when we have this myth that somehow like we're empty vessels that need to be filled by cultural or, 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 or other things that we, we have maybe healthy appetites for, but that we think somehow we need more and more and more and more of that in order to be filled, it can lead us right into this place of fret and worry, which is a path that is not a path of life and love uh, and joy. When we believe this myth, we end up focusing our lives on these desires, feeding appetites that, that are never satisfied. Because the, the, the truth of the matter is, if, if we all got satisfied, the myth would go away, right? But in order for the myth to hold, we can never really be satisfied by it. And so it's this kind of rat race that just leads to perpetual worry and fret. One we've talked about a lot, this myth of scarcity, that there's just not enough resources in the world for people to share. There's just not enough resources in the world, so therefore i got to earn mine, got to protect it, got to defend it. Um, and it's a myth that leads to not only kind of worry and fret, but can lead 
even to, to violence and, and ultimately to isolation um, for those who have and for those who, who don't have. Um, the story in Exodus of Egypt with its storehouses of grain, right? And juxtaposed with the people of God in the wilderness relying on manna from heaven um, to, to build not only kind of trust in God, but, but this openness and, and this, this ability to share with one another. And then another myth, um, he notes this myth of control or security. We, we, we tend to, because, because our, our culture, our empire, the powers, they want us to think this, that, that if our, our sense of security is connected to our, our, our nation, our military might, to our wealth, to, um, to you name it, um, that somehow like our security and strength and control is, is connected to that. Um, and economic times like we're in right now, as challenging as they can be for all of us, um, they're also a good reminder that our systems and structures, whether that be political, social, economic, it's not where we find our security. It's not where we find um, our sense of worth. Um, because if it is, it will lead to this worry and fret that, that the, the psalm is inviting us out of. Um, there's another way that this psalm is inviting us into and that the scriptures invite us into consistently. It's the way of shalom, of well-being. It's the way of new king, God's new kingdom in Christ and, and new creation. It's, it's the way of life and light. Um, Hebrews, um, the author of Hebrews writes, so you see that a Sabbath rest is left open for God's people. The author is, is talking about and expanding this idea that a Sabbath of just one day um, can be expanded into this reality of life because of God's work in Christ. The one, Jesus, who entered God's rest also rested from his works, just as God rested from his own. Therefore, let's make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following the same example. There's an invitation to enter into God's rest. It's, it's what we've talked about around here in terms of communion. Um, um, all the things that, that, that we mentioned earlier. Uh, this idea of shalom, is, it's 247 times in the scriptures. There's an invitation into well-being and shalom. Um, Sabbath is talked about over 100 times, almost 150. And Psalm 37, I think, and what we're going to kind of explore over the next few weeks, gives us these four invitations of um, what it might look like to move into to God's rest, into God's shalom and well-being. The psalmist encourages, invites, trust the Lord. Enjoy the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. Be still before the Lord. And so we're going to explore um, these a little bit over the next few weeks. Um, 
Air travel is so fun. I, I don't know how, how you all feel about air travel, but air travel is so fun. Um, and it, I am not someone who is, has a whole lot of fear about getting on an airplane. I think the data suggests it might even be one of the safest ways to travel. Um, and even though I, I think air travel is so fun that it's, it's such a great you know, way to see the world and, and get around, there is that moment and maybe you know the moment I'm talking about, there is that moment in every flight where I just get a little tingle in the stomach if I really think about it. Um, and I put myself there, right? I, I could have just not shown up for the flight, could have not even reserved the flight. Um, I could have got to the airport and turned right around um, and not, not been there for this moment. I could have made a big scene even once I was already on the airplane and had, you know, somebody come and take me off the plane because they, they didn't think I was safe on the plane if I really didn't want to be there for this moment. But it's that moment when you're sitting on the plane and it's just racing down the runway right when the pilot lifts up off the ground and you just know my destiny is linked with the destiny of this plane. My future and the love, future of my loved ones, we are, we are now wrapped up in the future of this plane and this pilot and everybody else who is on, on this plane. It's a moment of, of commitment where you're committed. You're, you're in the sky I suppose the land is also a touch nervous sometimes, depending on how it goes. But for me, it's that, it's that takeoff moment where we're all in. Um, if, the, if the off-ramp or the exit of God's welfare and shalom in our lives is worry and fret, is buying into these myths, the on-ramp um, is what Psalm 37 says, committing our way to God, to the God of peace, the God of love, the God who's created the world. Um, and it's into trust um, in him. When, when my, my pastor, Pastor Lee, was beginning to work on this, I'm almost done, so as they come in, hang with me here. Um, when he was beginning to work on this passage, um, he, he was reading Psalm 37 in a language that he learned while he was in India. Welcome back, kids. Have a seat. Have a seat and then open your hands up like this for me. We're, we're going to do a little body exercise. For those of you who are with us, you can, you can join in too. All right. So this, this pastor, my pastor growing up, Earl Lee, he was studying this psalm and he was reading it like he liked to do in a language that he had learned in India when he was a missionary there. Um, and the language, let me get to get this right, is the, the language of Marathi, which is one of 22 languages in India. And he said when he read this verse in that language, um, the translation, the loose translation of kind of committing yourself to the Lord was turn what you are and what you have 
over to God. Palms down. Turn what you are and what you have over to God. Palms down. The myths that we, we buy into without even realizing it, we tell ourselves over and over, they're in our hands. Turn them over to God, hands down. Um, those are amens. The, the, uh, even the gifts, um, the privilege that we have, the things we're so grateful for, open-handed to God, Turned over, um, palms down. Um, this week, as we go from here, wanting and longing for lives of, of shalom, of welfare together, wanting communion with God, even if it's been a dry season, um, wanting, if nothing else, just not to worry so much, because it's so easy to do. As you read Psalm 37 and meditate on it, I, I, I encourage you to use your hands this week. All that I have, those things that hold me back, that hold me down, those things that I am so grateful for, I have no idea how God wants to use them. Hands open, um, palms down, um, over and over to God. You never know, you might be an ER nurse who quits your job and fails at farming and stumbles upon a beautiful new way of supporting her family in her local neighborhood. Uh, open hands, palms down. You never know, you might injure your knee and uh, walk around a community and get curious about sideward leaning trees um, that lead to connection and new life for yourself um, and for your community. I'm going to pray for us and then Jordan's going to come up and lead us in Eucharist. Um, Eucharist is, a, is such a symbol for us of, of everything we're talking about. It's a movement into God's well-being. It's a different kind of well-being than the world's well-being. Um, it, it's a it, it's different story. Um, than adding value to our lives or, or not having enough. It's a story of abundance and welcome. Uh, and so Jordan's going to come and lead us in that. God, may, uh, may you um, give us what we need to enter into your rest and your well-being, to your new creation. And God, help us, help us not to worry. Set us free from messages that lead to that. God, provide for us in ways that we need you to. Um, but we pray, God, that as we commit all that we are to you, God, that you would free us from the worry that can be so, so um, captive. Keep, it, keep us so captive. Uh, move among us, we pray. Amen.